expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Come one, come all to episode 86 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where if we ever have trouble reaching the final frontier, we know there's going to be a pill for Trexile dysfunction. <laughs> Just make sure you set your pace and that your ox don't die and that you don't die of dysentery. Nope, and you don't want to set your phasers to stun for that either. That would that would just not be good. That would suck, man. I mean, you know, what was it like when you first beat Oregon Trail? Like when you first, like when you reached Oregon and, you know, you put all your, your, your family didn't die of like horrible diseases from like way, way back. I, I got to tell you, it, it's, it's like winning the lottery, right? especially since you always had like a bunch of your friends around you in class and nobody could do it. And you were the one that did it. It was like a, we are the champion slow motion moment. <laughs> was, that there, there was just like those two trying times. It was the final go down the river to get to Oregon. And then whenever you had to cross like a river or a lake yeah. and you had to choose like, okay, do you, the water is this high? And you know, you're like, at least me at the time, I'm like six, seven years old. I'm like, I don't know how deep 12 feet of water is. So, Hey, let's have the ox just, the ox is just walk across. It, yeah, be fine. it should be fine. They can no. swim. <laughs> then you lose half your stuff. <laughs> then you lose half your stuff. Your son dies. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that was totally worth it. Way to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm James with them alongside the man who made to Oregon all the way, aka the Merkel one arm Nick Pataglia. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> good opening. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, it's hey, every now and then that's something that needs to be done. Just like we needed to talk to Tom Waltz about Turtles last week because man, that that comic has really cranked it up a notch, and they really have set a new path. Again, it's with issue fifty, what it did going to issue fifty one and just beyond. It's like when you watch Pulp Fiction. And John Travolta stabs Uma Thurman in the heart with that long adrenaline shot mm-hmm. needle. That's what Tom did with issue 50 and 51 of Turtles, man. I mean, it was, the series was already good, but he just jammed the needle into that chest. Yeah, and I think it's difficult, too. Anytime you have an adaptable property like that and, a, and one that we're all used to, like Turtles, it's so hard to say, okay, we want to take this in a fresh direction, but what do we do? And still, you know, keep the fans and not make it too outside of the realm. So what they did with with Shredder and Splinter and the Foot Clan, Leonardo leading them into battle, I mean, I got to tell you, that was, I, I, that was not something I expected, but I'm really enjoying it, and I can't wait to see what they've got going on going forward. Speaking of moving forward, we have two new guests this week. Of course, from Image Comics is Wayward. We have Stephen Cummings and Tamara Bonville. And something that's pretty cool, James, this is the first time we have two artists as main guests and, and surprise guests on the show. And first colorist, actually, yes. ever on the show. And colorists don't get a lot of love. We'll talk to Tamara about that and find out, you know, what it's like to actually work on a series where, let me tell you, you look at Wayward, the colors are one of the big reasons why this series works yeah exactly this is a book that's so important about the art because it deals with souls and it deals with strands and just certain beings and when you see it 
the art is just so key, so it's going to be really, really fun to talk to them this week. Yeah, and, you know, there's always some comics where, you know, the writing's really great, but the art ne- isn't necessarily, but the writing carries it. This is one book, the writing is great, the art carries it, and the colors just pop. So we can't wait to talk to them about Wayward. But up next, you know we've got a couple of new comics we're going to be reviewing for you, and that's next here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Emmy Lennox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We pull out our long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment, as always, is brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the myriad of things he has for the nerds you love in your life as well as yourself. So, James, do you want to go first this week or do you want me to go first this week? I'm going to give you the honor of going first this week. All right, well, of course, this was the week where Marvel had a lot of number ones come out. And the one in particular, of course... I'm a big Deadpool fan, and Deadpool number one came out this week, and um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Already a ringing endorsement, okay. Well, I mean, you know, it's written by Jerry Dugan, and Mike Hawthorne's a penciler, and Terry Pallet is the inker, and uh, Val Staples is the colors on this. The art is your typical Marvel art. It's not bad. It's really detailed and looks good. The problem is, when you had... Deadpool being quote-unquote killed off. He's had all those spin-offs of different things. Of course, that allowed him to be written by different writers. You know, he had like three different books out by three different writers, you know, and he's got another book right now. I think it's concluding or concluded last week or this week, Deadpool versus Th- Sanos with Tim Seeley. And the problem with that is he's going to be written different ways. Yep. So you get the main guy right now and Dugan writing him and he's writing by himself because the last run was him and Brian Posehn and a couple other people. But it's going to be an, it's an adjustment period. I'm going to tell you right now. This is, this is a series, a number one, that's going to be quite an adjustment period because Deadpool didn't really seem very Deadpool to me. He, he's in this, in this, he's, uh, I don't know if it's the effects of Secret Wars because there's no, you know, they don't tell you how he's able to come back from the dead. They just, you know, say, oh, oh since Secret Wars and Bad World started, uh, people came back from the dead, whatever. And in this one, he's an Avenger. He's really, really rich now. Like, he's actually um, supporting the Avengers financially. Ha! That's weird. And he actually has gotten to the point where his popularity is so high. And maybe it's because of he had the movie coming out, and it's kind of a reflection on his status right now in, you know, pop culture, where he actually hires, like, C and D-list heroes like Stingray and, you know, Solo and other people to pretty much be Deadpool and kind of go on mercenary missions for him when he can't be there. Interesting. So, I mean, it's it's okay. Like I said, it's not terrible. There are some parts of it where I did laugh. I mean, I did, I did giggle a little bit. But for me, I think it's, you know, when you read something like Deadpool versus Carnage that was written by Colin Bunn, Colin, I think, really was a person that I really think really captivated and captured Deadpool in the way that we I think we all know and love him. This one, uh, when the, the real Deadpool does make an appearance, but he's more grounded. Did you expect more, being that Dugan was the one that's been writing Deadpool all along? So did you kind of expect, okay, so he's back. This is going to kind of pick up right where we left off. Deadpool's going to be Deadpool, and everything will be great. Do you think because maybe you expected that because Dugan was on it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so, because I'm like, okay, this is Dugan. You know, he's on. I liked his Deadpool run last time. Because um, a lot of people got different writers with these relaunches. Yeah, and I think that 
when you look at it, it it's just I think it's because of the whole Secret Wars thing. I, th- I that's what I really think it comes down to because uh, there's a, a panel where Shikla is even like, you know, he told me that this, you know, building this team up wouldn't change him and stuff like that, and you know, he's changed and he becomes more of the mogul thing and you know, brand oriented pretty much with him and. It's just weird because, like I said, he wasn't really the wise cracking thing. He wasn't like the very, you know, insane thing we got. There was, like I said, there were some parts that were funny, but it was more the when the other people dresses Deadpool were in the panels. It wasn't Deadpool himself. Interesting. Do you think that's a failing? You know, it's because you didn't read Secret Wars that they didn't kind of reset and tell you, hey, what's going on? <laughs> I think n- not really because Secret Wars. I mean, Deadpool was dead, so I mean, you know, what I'm saying like. Uh, he, I know that they, I believe they even said that even when Secret Wars was coming out, that Deadpool wasn't going to be a part of it. That's why they had Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars, um, which was like a, you know like a, a redoing of like the '80s Secret Wars with Deadpool. Right. But he wasn't a part of Secret Wars, from what I understood. And so, so to, to bring him back and not explain how, it's really weird. And plus, I mean, you had I understand you know one of the big things I had I read recently too, you know, was of course. Mrs. Deadpool and the Howling Commandos. Now, of course, it starts off with kind of a reverse take on what happens in Dracula's Gauntlet, where Dracula kills Deadpool, and Deadpool doesn't kill Dracula. So, and then Shikla dies in the end of that. So seeing her kind of jarred me a little bit. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. I thought she died in this other issue. But so, like, everybody's back then, basically. Yeah, pretty much everybody's back. But it's just, it's, for me, this is a pickup. Only because it's going to take a while to get adjusted to this. Maybe it'll get more amped up. I mean, the ending really was kind of like a, a holy shit type of an ending. But it also kind of felt a little bit out of character in terms of Deadpool. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. But it's a pickup for me. All right. Well, I actually decided to go a little bit of a different route this week because I don't believe we've ever reviewed one of these comics on the show before. It's from Dark Circle Comics, which, of course, is the dark imprint of Archie Comics, I decided to go with The Hangman number one because I was kind of intrigued by it. So, it's written by Frank Thierry, who you might remember did some stuff for Batman Eternal and Batman in general. Also, uh, Felix Ruiz is the artist. Rachel Deering is the letterer and the colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick. And I gotta tell you, this was a violent graphic comic, for sure. This is not <laughs> this is not Riverdale-type stuff here, Let me let me tell you. <laughs> The, the language is very adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of F-bombs dropped in the story. But what's funny is it kind of starts out with a guy. He's like your typical family man, right? Oh, honey, I got to go to the office. I don't have time to eat breakfast. Oh, sure, I'll get the little doll for our daughter out of my trunk. Well, <laughs> right. there's a body in the trunk. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and that's not a spoiler because you, and, and I won't I won't spoil it, I promise. But. Basically, you follow this guy who you think is this normal, everyday guy, but it turns out he's a hitman. And you know that from reading the description in this comic anyway, so that's not a spoiler. What he does to this guy that he's supposed to kill Mm -hmm. is so messed up. You would not... This is not something you would even think would 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 be a way to kill somebody. Wait, wait, so you're telling me that he actually made him watch Big Bang Theory on repeat? That is not a way to kill anybody. I can tell you that right now. It's hilarious. Uh, This is my book. But I digress. No, the way he does this, you're going to go, wow, that is messed up. (laughs) I really wish that Mr. Rogers was still alive because I'd love to see him do like a live reading of this. This, man, it would be, it would be awful. (laughs) It would be terrible. But then, of course, so he kills the guy. 
Uh-huh. Again, not a spoiler. And then basically the hangman they, is kind of a myth. It's one of those stories, you know, you tell your kids to scare them kind of mm-hmm. thing so they don't go do something. So mm-hmm. everybody thinks he's not real. Well, obviously, he's got a comic, so he's real. So <laughs> we see him show up. And I'm going to be honest. I got a real, when I first when you first see him, I got a real Midnighter vibe. Okay. You know, from DC. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Very similar look to Midnighter, but pretty brutal. And he's got like his own little catchphrase and everything. And, you know, he has his reasons for doing what he does. But, and it was a really good comic until we get to the end. Okay. It takes such a left turn at the end <laughs> where you go, uh what the hell just happened (laughs) where you don't really expect it to go that way. And it's like, why did this just, what, how, huh? (laughs) So I'm, I'm with it through the first like 20, 20 pages or so. Right. Then I get to the end and I go, what? (laughs) How's, how's the art in this? The art's pretty good. I mean, I kind of compare it to, I mean, there's times where, it's really good, and then there's times where it's like, okay, so you didn't spend a whole lot of time on the face. Okay, and then going back to the writing, the last ten pages, did it did it come out of place? Kind of like, okay, it's this is kind of interesting at least to say a fact, or did it really like come out of nowhere and the kind last of, and, and kind of pull you out of of it? The last two pages, okay, were totally out of nowhere, and and it was almost like okay, because this is a number one issue. Uh huh. This is almost like something you would see in like a number four or number five issue when right. things are already established. And this is kind of the twist in the middle of a run. This is not something you kind of expect to see in the beginning of a run. However, I say that the writing was good. It was very intense. It almost felt Sopranos-esque mm-hmm. in certain, at certain times. So I thought that was interesting because there's no real correlation there. So I thought that that was an interesting kind of vibe that I got. It was just the ending kind of turned me off at the at the very last second. So this would have been a pull for me mm-hmm. had it just ended the way I kind of expected it was going to end. But I got to switch it to a pickup. Mm-hmm. But this could easily become a pull in the next issue if they kind of explain what on earth they were doing in the last page. <laughs> right. It's just bizarre. I mean, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, when something comes out of nowhere and you're reading it, you know, just like it really can jar you out of the pages and kind of be like back into reality. Just like, Oh man. Like, and, and and you don't really see the hangman until the last few pages. Yeah. He's more of the myth that you talk about kind of thing. Cause it's more centered around this guy and his family and they don't know he's a hitman kind of thing. And it sort of starts out that way. Right. So, and then you see the hangman towards the end. Now the, the action is good in the book when they get there. Like I said, the way they decide to kill this guy, it's just messed up. I don't know how else to describe it. And when you read it, you'll, you'll feel the same way. Cause it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter how desensitized you are. The mm. way they choose to kill this dude, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not cool at all. And and you know, and there's a reason why the hit has been put out on this guy and you know, it's your classic lovers quarrel kind of thing. I'm just picturing like the guy's eyes being open like Clockwork Orange style and the Fantastic Four reboot is just playing on a continuous loop. <laughs> See now that's torture. That is torture. That's see, you got it right. There you go. No, it's 
it's way worse than that. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's a pickup for me. I, I do think that the writing was very good. I, I think this could be a really good series. Please explain in the second issue why this happened, though. All right, and that's going to do it for this week and what we're reading. Again, I read Deadpool number one. James, what did you read this week? I read The Hangman number one from Dark Circle Comics. All right, and we both gave them pickups this week. So, again, give it about a few issues and uh, see where it goes from there. But, again, that's going to do it for what we're reading. But come next, get ready to testify because we're going to be talking about the Preacher trailer that dropped over the weekend. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy come next. Hey, my name is Rafael Albuquerque, and you are listening to Down Nerdy Podcast. Well, this week in Geek Taman, it's time to testify because we're going to be talking about Preacher. And of course, the Vertigo Comics adaptation that's going to be coming to AMC. Nick, we finally got a first trailer for the series. Mm-hmm. I hear you, brother James. I hear you, what you're saying over there to the millions of people listening to this podcast. I saw the lot. I saw the trailer. And I got to tell you, it's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Je- <laughs> we got Jesse Custer up in here. We got Ozface up in here. We got Cassidy up in here. Brother Dominic Cooper playing the role of Jesse Custer. I gotta tell you, <laughs> he has seen the word. He has spoken the truth of what they're doing. And by the Lord Almighty, that is Seth Rogen who is doing this show as developer. And also Evan Goldberg, who's directing the episode. They have hit it through the pearly gates of heaven and have reached deep into the depths of hell to bring out a great show. Okay, I think we should Okay, we promise we're done. We're done. We're done. I promise. <laughs> no, that's, that's it. <laughs> but, I mean, speaking of Dominic Cooper, I gotta be honest. I did... I barely recognize he him. He has so much range, dude. It just... I mean, this is, this is Howard Stark. This is... He's in yeah. other roles. But for him to just be like, you know, these British people are coming over and they're taking our... There's no, there's literally no role anywhere in the U.S. that's safe from the British invasion. No, but at least it's a good guy this time. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, good guy in the sense of he's the lead role in the series because I mean, I mean, Jesse Custer definitely treads a fine line. But I mean, the intensity of this series, I think, I mean, I know that you've read Preacher certainly more than I have, yeah. um, and I, I think that the intensity that was needed from this series, I think we definitely saw that in this first trailer because it was intense. Well, yeah, I mean, it starts off with just, you know, Jesse sitting in a chair and a kid come up to him saying, I want you to hurt my dad. And he's just saying, how mad do you want me to hurt him? And, of course, they're showing some different events like with Cassidy and other things that are going on. You know, you have Tulip there, of course, played by Ruth Naga. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you have the, the voiceover and it's just really, really dark. And it shows just how intense it's going to be. Now, a problem people have had with this. Rogan's kind of said and came out that they're going to kind of deviate a little bit from the comic, and it's fine. Like, Which they do that in Arrow all the time. Yeah. Now, it works. Now, Walking Dead, they do it a little bit. Oh, yeah. A lot, they do it a lot, too, in Walking Dead, but I think more to that, and that's, a, people, that's what people are saying, like, oh, it's just going to be The Walking Dead and everything else. I mean, yeah, it kind of has the colors. I mean, you're in Texas, for Christ's sake, so I mean, you're going to have the orange hue to the lighting. It's going to have that kind of same feel. And, yeah. You know, it's AMC, so that's probably the AMC's kind of fall into a little bit. It's just the properties they've gotten just from the way they're being shot. It's and like, just, just let's just use the same set. Screw it. Yeah, We're going to keep it. costs down. Just shoot everything on the... No, I don't care if it doesn't make sense. I don't care if the suburbs are in the desert. Just just shoot it. It's yeah. fine. But, I mean, there's, there's one person I'm shocked I didn't really get to see. It. I actually kind of wait. I, he's actually, I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite characters, and that's Arseface. He's being played by Ian Coletti. I can't wait to yeah. see... 
Well, I mean, we've got pictures of him and stuff like that, but I can't wait to see, like, just the interaction he has with Jesse and stuff like that. But I got to tell you, Joseph Gilgan as Cassidy, he is, uh, I think, I mean, I know it's just a trailer. We haven't seen the actual show yet, but uh, I think he's going to be a pretty big, much of a fan favorite in the show. Yeah, I think so, too. And I know that there's been some complaints about Cassidy. Oh, he's not wearing his sunglasses in the trail. Okay, look, you had the same exact complaints, nerds, about Constantine not smoking or not having this. Right. And that worked out just fine. As a matter of fact, that show should still be on the air, but I digress. These kind of things aren't going to come out in five seconds of a first trailer, okay? Eventually, the things that you want to see are gonna be there when are we gonna stop not having faith that things are actually gonna be there we don't have faith anymore as nerd culture we just assume the worst right from the get-go exactly but i mean you know you watch this and it's just like i said it's just constantly intense i gotta tell you right now this is i mean the comp was pretty the same way and you know this is gonna be a show you watch man it's gonna be graphic as all hell oh yeah and that's why when i've heard that this was gonna be on amc i'm like Perfect. Yeah. Perfect subject in medium because AMC just, they just know how to do these shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You know, they know how to do, you know, stuff from like Walking Dead, yes, but even like Breaking Bad, you know. So, you know, they, they one thing AMC knows how to do really well is write anti heroes. They know, or not write anti heroes, but they know how to do shows about yeah. anti heroes and people yeah. who are just kind of stuck in that gray area like Jesse is and Preacher. So, I mean, yeah, it's gonna be very, very interesting to see what happens going forward. But you know, a lot of people were complaining, like, "Well, why hasn't haven't we seen this person yet? Why hasn't this person but we've seen them yet?" You know, it's like it's only like a minute and thirty or minute fifty it's second trailer. The first trailer. Yes, <laughs> the first one. Okay, that's why. Oh my god, it's like it, it, we're. I think that's the problem with the nerd culture as a whole is that we're too spoiled now to where if we don't see one person in at least for like a second. In a, in a trailer, people go nuts, and they just lose it. Not every trailer is going to be the first Star Wars Force Awakens trailer, okay? That's <laughs> yeah. just not the way it's... That's not the way that society works. That was one... And I think that's one of the reasons that we ha- we are spoiled now as, as a nerd culture, because that first trailer was so good, and it showed so much that everybody's like, all right, every trailer should be like that now. No, I don't want to get everything revealed in the first trailer, because then you got nothing left after but- that. But to go back to Seth Rogen and, of course, Evan Goldberg, you know, these are two guys who have mostly done a lot of comedy stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see them do this take on Preacher. Of course, Garth Ennis is also one of the writers as well, as he should be. Um, But I think that, you know, I mean, we're going to see. This is going to be kind of an interesting take on on these guys and their careers and everything else. And, um you know, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what he does. You know, I mean, you, you can only hit, you, you, you understand that you've got a little bit of a pause when you've got them right. involved in a property like this. Right. But here's my question to you as somebody, because I know you're much bigger of a Constantine fan. I mean, more, I'm saying as more of the comics as I was. Do you think Preacher is going to fill that hole for people who were big Constantine fans and then it got canceled? And do you think that Preacher is going to kind of take that spot or, or no? I think it has a similar theme and tonality to it, even though, of course, John Constantine as a character is much different than Jesse Custer's. Some There are some similar themes there. So I certainly think that it's possible 
that it could fill that void. I don't think fans are ever going to stop clamoring for Constantine to come back, and maybe this guest appearance that just happened on Arrow will do that for the show somehow, or at least find a spot for Constantine somewhere. But I do think that at least as a gap filler, mm-hmm. or at least as a, okay, for now, we'll do this. Or maybe this is a lot of Constantine fans might not know about Preacher, might not have read it. I'm Maybe that sounds crazy, but it's true because they're both on Vertigo. But maybe not a lot of people know about Preacher that know about Constantine, so maybe this is the opportunity for them to drift over and discover something else that they might like with similar themes. I was going to say this. I think that when you look at Jesse Custer and John Constantine, yeah, they're two very different characters just from their tonality and just... Attitude-wise, you know, Attitude-wise, they're very different. Very different. But what they do is sort of the same thing. So I think it's kind of if you're a big Constantine fan and you're upset that it's gone, even though John's going to be back on Arrow, you know, making an appearance or two, you know, this is kind of a lateral move. Say, okay, I don't have Constantine anymore, but let's see how Jesse Custer is and see how it works out. It's like a Netflix where it's like, you might also like. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that exact thing. It's, It's similar enough to the point where if you loved Constantine, even if you just were a fan of the show and you hadn't read the comics... This is a good go-over-here kind of thing that you can watch, and I think you'll enjoy this just as much. And I think that cast-wise, top to bottom, they might... Clearly, AMC is taking this a little more seriously than NBC did, except for when they cast the lead role of Constantine. I think Preacher, as a whole, was cast maybe a little bit better and for a little bit more longevity. So I think that that's going to make it probably a little bit better than what Constantine was on TV. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week in Geek Tamp. Come up next. Fans have been clamoring for some change to a certain comic book character's book in terms of the writer, and, well, they got their wish. Which book are we talking about? Stay tuned and find out, because Nerd News is coming up next right here on Down Nerdy. Hey, guys, this is IDW senior staff writer and editor Tom Walt, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, or James and I go around the interweb and see what's trending in the nerd world via the internet. Because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And we're going to start off, James. I want to give you the floor here because you've read Aquaman, correct? Yes. The current run by Colin Bond. So he announced that he's leaving the DC comic with January's issue number 48. Now, the announcement came during Bun's Reddit AMA, in which he pretty much confessed that his relationship with the King of Atlantis ended some time ago, thanks to negative reaction from the fans. And we, when we posted this story, yep. people were praising, like, oh my god, thank god. And I want to read an actual quote from him, and then I'll let you take the floor. Okay. Uh, he said, quote, I actually quit the book before my first issue even came out. The reaction from fans was brutal and disheartening, even before they read my first issue. My editor, and he put in parentheses, who is great, asked me to stick with it, so I did. The fan reaction didn't improve. This was such a different take on the character. A lot of diehard Aquaman fans couldn't accept it. I was accused of not talking about the book, but every time I did, I got hate tweets and hate mail. I don't need that, and it kind of made me loathe the character. In the end, I think this wasn't the right story to tell with Aquaman, so I felt it was time for me to move on. Someone else can come and be a hero. Now, someone else, of course, they just reported, has been Jeff Johns. They're returning after Bun's run in January after issue 48 when it ends. So, before I give you the floor, I just want to say, whenever you read somebody say, I quit the book before I came out the first issue, I'm like, that's when DC should have just said, okay, we're not going to have you. No, we're going to change up the writers. Mm-hmm. But I think because it was called and they had so much interest, you know, they had so much in him, so much publicity. I don't know what that well, let you take 
before. I think one of the reasons they did that before I get into the, the main reason of why I think is going on here. I think one of the reasons they did that was that Jeff Johns, who's going to be coming back in the book, did such a great job at reinventing Aquaman and not making him a punchline anymore and actually making him a good badass character. He did such a good job with the run that it's almost like the guy replacing the guy. And I think that they needed a name to replace Jeff Johns and be the guy. And that name just happened to be Cullen Bunn, who's writing everything right now in the comics world. But I think part of what happened here almost wasn't Cullen's fault. Because, yeah, I I thought Cullen's story wasn't the greatest story. And I love Cullen Bunn and a lot of his other work. This story just didn't seem to work, just like Cullen said. I think part of the problem here, honestly was also the art. And I think that Trevor McCarthy kind of shoulders a little bit of this because the art was just okay. I'm not going to sit here and say it was bad. But the new look that they kind of gave Aquaman with the black suit and the the shaggy hair type of look, and I know he's banished and all this stuff, but it just didn't fit. And the whole vibe, I remember when I was reading this first issue, because I basically loved everything Cullen's ever written, but I read this issue and I'm like, something's not right. Something just feels off. This is not Cullen. It just feels weird. And I didn't really, and I wanted to enjoy it more because it was Cullen, because I really wanted to jump back into Aquaman. And I really thought that Cullen could tell a great Aquaman story. So I just think that, and I don't want to speak for Cullen, obviously. I just feel like his heart wasn't in it. And I do think that part of that should have been DC saying, all right, if you're not feeling it, we'll get somebody else because this isn't the first time that somebody's just been replaced on a book. Right. And the thing is with, with Colin is, you know, he does a lot of other projects. Part of me thinks that, um, the reason why maybe it wasn't the right way to take the characters. Maybe I think he, I thought, I think he kind of overstretched himself a little bit with all those projects. So I he think writes a lot. It, yeah. And I think it's maybe a little bit of burnout. Maybe I don't know. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but I think, you know, Maybe he overstretched himself a little bit. And let's be honest, is we know Colin's work pretty well and we've spoken to Colin. Oh, we know him personally. Is you know? this the was this the right project for him? I don't know. I don't I, think so. And I, and I think that you know, you mentioned the whole him being banished, talking about Aquaman. You know, Green Lantern's kinda of going through a thing right now where he's banished as well a little bit. Yeah. You know, where he's on the run and kinda of on the lamb and and you know, maybe if you're somebody who reads both Aquaman and Green Lantern, you realize that, hey, they're kind of similar in terms of arcs right now. And it's Yeah, and let's you know, face it. Let's just put it all on the table right now. Cullen is amazing on Sinestro. Oh, yeah. On Sinestro, he's fantastic. That character suits him. It fits his niche. I don't think Aquaman did that. And I think that I understand why they wanted a name and maybe Cullen wanted to go outside his comfort zone a little bit. I just don't think this was the right character for him to work with. So I'm not sure that no matter what happened, if it would have worked out. Well, I think with Cullen, this last thing I'm going to say about this before we move on to our next story. When you look at some like stuff he does, like, you know, you mentioned Sinestro, uh, Deadpool versus Carnage, that I mentioned in what we're reading. And then, you know, you have, of course, Harrow County. When it comes to dark characters, dark settings, Mm-hmm. Colin is amazing with that when it comes to mature stuff. But when it comes to taking Aquaman and kind of making him a little bit darker of a character, sometimes trying to make some a character certain, you know, darker in a certain way doesn't work out all the time. 
And Aquaman, you know, I didn't read the John's run, but I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna when he gets, comes back on, I'm gonna read it because you know he wants. He's talking about how he's gonna be doing the whole Seven Seas arc. He's he's working on yes. as well. Yes. And uh, he's gonna finish that off. So I mean, it's gonna be interesting. But I think that, like I said, I think it's with certain characters making them and giving them, like a certain tone doesn't always fit them. Colin tried to do that with Aquaman. It just didn't pan out. So I mean, that's, that's John's, all I can say on that. John's made Aquaman a warrior. Yeah. And that was not the vibe you got. It's almost like resetting Aquaman to a place where people didn't want to go back to. And I think that that was part of the failing. But one thing we are going to be getting back into again is Star Trek got a new series coming out on CBS. Sort of. Yeah. So CBS announced plans for a new Star Trek series earlier in the week. However, it won't be available on their actual network, as James sort of pointed out. Instead, it's going to be available, get this, exclusively in the United States on CBS All Access. That's, now, that's the network's digital subscription video on demand. That's their live streaming service, which costs about $6 a month. It's five ninety nine. yeah. Well, $6. Yeah. Uh, now, I have a major problem with this. When you look at the stuff that we have now, we have Netflix, we have Hulu. You know, you want to go with CWC, do you want to do CBS's All Access those cost money to have. Those cost, you know, anywhere from like, you know, what Netflix is now going to be ten dollars a month. Uh, Hulu, like I have Hulu for example, but I also have the Showtime package with that, so I'm, it's fourteen for me. So already I'm spending over twenty bucks a month in just subscription services. I fear that stuff like this, bringing on big name content, but putting on a streaming service for an individual network. And I understand that people want to go the whole a la carte route and you know choose cable settings for or cable subscriptions that you know via and just pick and choose what you want in terms of channels. But my thing is, I fear that because cable subscriptions are low and and networks are losing money because of it, I fear that networks are going to pull their stuff off of Hulu and Amazon Prime and stuff like that, put them on their own stuff for like five six bucks a month. And then what's going to happen is people are going to have to buy all those different all accesses and streaming services. And they're going to spending 80 bucks a month just for streaming services. And it's going to be close to the same amount as cable is now because cable packages now are averaging about $100 a month. I'm paying more than that. I can tell you that right now. I'm paying more than that for cable per month. But, you know, you get the DVR and all that stuff. So, I mean, for, for me, it works because I like watching stuff live. It's just who I am. I don't see that ever changing. So, at least... With CBS, I like that they're giving you the option of being able to watch live as well. Now, I will say that with this, they did come out and amend this story and kind of say, okay, so the first episode is going to be on CBS television. It will debut on CBS, but the rest of the episodes after that, yes, you will have to go to CBS All Access. <laughs> I do think that as a, Cord Cutters, one of, the biggest, one of their biggest complaints was, well, we can't get network programming live streaming, but a lot of these other stations we can. Well, at least CBS is going to give you the option to watch stuff live, and they're going to give you original content as well, apparently, through this CBS All Access. I get why you're worried, but I think that's exactly what's going to happen. For somebody like me that's still on, let's call it traditional cable. Yeah. For somebody that, for me that's still on it, it upsets me that if I want Channel A... I also have to get channel B, C, D, and E that I don't care about. That frustrates me. So if I could say, just give me channel A and screw these other channels and just let me get this one and I'll pay however much it is for that channel. I, I like 
having that option. However, I see exactly what you're saying, that if everything does go a la carte, you're going to end up spending just as much, if not more, than you were for cable anyway. So I think that cord cutters, who are a little bit different than you that want that a la carte option, I've always told them, hey, be careful what you wish for, because once everything goes a la carte, guess what? It's probably going to end up costing exactly the same amount of money. Exactly, and and my thing is, is this is like I said, you know, I, I have the Hulu account, I have Netflix, you know, you have Amazon Prime, but when it comes to like, okay, see if I can give people a chance to watch stuff live, that's all good and all, but why do people have streaming services in the first place to watch shit when they have the chance to do so? Right. And so, for the most part, people don't really care about watching stuff uh, on Well, CBS see, Live. I disagree with you there because think about it. If you don't want to wait, if you love something that much, you mean to tell me right now that if you could watch Arrow or Flash or Supergirl, if you could watch your favorite show and you're available, let's say you're sitting at home, you're available, you can watch it right now, you don't have to wait until 3 o'clock in the morning, would you do it? No, because I already do that now. <laughs> I, I already, you know... I stay home a lot and, you know, and do other things. And I'm sorry, I still wait till three in the morning for those things to come out. See, I, de- think you're, I think you're in the minority there. I yeah. think if some people would have the option to watch certain... Walking Dead's a perfect example. Well, I think... The, you I think wanna... people are going to want to wait to watch Walking Dead? Especially with people that are able to watch it live and spoilers are a real problem. And that's what I wanted to get to because I think the reason why... It, <sighs> Even though I, I bash, even though this is kind of a smart move by CBS because you get those people who can't wait. There are not like myself who can't wait till three o'clock in the morning um, and are really good at avoiding spoilers. But you got people who are like they need to watch it because it's just in case that fact that they go on social media and they get something spoiled. But you know what? Yeah. You, know, you know they want to be able to watch it live. I understand that, but again, it just makes me fear that as the, the times go forward, that we're going to see. NBC and ABC and Fox pull their stuff from Hulu and say, you know what? We want more of the pie in terms of revenue. We're going to pull off all our, pull off our stuff, well, put it on a streaming service, and have you pay $6 a month just for a channel. That's like, a possibility, I- but let me go on the other side of the coin for just a second. What if they do what Showtime is doing with Hulu that you just mentioned? What if that's an add-on option? For Hulu subscribers, maybe, <sighs> may, how about this? Maybe you get, if you want CBS All Access on its own, you right. don't care about Hulu, it's five ninety nine a month. But if you have Hulu, we'll give it to you for two ninety nine. No, because I think that's the problem, too, is that that's, 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 that's a dangerous game right there because already, you know, when you watch like Supergirl online through streaming, it takes you right to the CBS website to watch it there through Hulu. Um when you have something that's free, and even if you put like a two dollar mark on it, people are gonna be pissed, and they're gonna can't like. I'm honestly, dude, if I got to the point where I have Hulu, but now I need to pay to watch one show on CBS or one show on NBC because I don't watch a lot of TV. You know, the most I watch like on let's say for each of the main networks, I probably watch three, four shows per like maybe one or two per channel, if that. And the moment you say you got to pay two dollars just to watch just one or two shows. That's going to make me want to cancel my Hulu subscription. again, I think you're probably in the minority there. I think there are people that will watch more than one show on more than one network. They won't watch just one or two shows. So again, from your perspective, that makes sense. But there are people that will watch multiple shows on multiple networks that might not feel the same way. 
Exactly. Now, speaking of people that feel the same way, of course, everybody was excited when Constantine appeared on Arrow this week. But, of course, there was something that happened over the weekend, James. Actually, Friday, I believe, uh, actually we released a show that actually happened with uh, Daniel Cerrone, the uh, showrunner for Constantine. Yeah, the guy actually went and did something that's almost never done in the business, and that's he released the script for what would have been Constantine's season two, episode one of the next season that never was. And I got to tell you, I'm reading through this thing. First of all, I had set direction, everything. I mean, this was a legit, complete script, dialogue, scene setting, everything. And it was intense. Oh, of course. Now, the evil of week, it was actually a reanimated corpse who came after this group of young people who accidentally almost killed him and it was the way that that happens when you read the script in the beginning this pretty uh pretty intense shit yeah and i mean it's actually funny that you said they tried to kill him they really tried to kill him several times oh yeah at first yeah. they were like what do we do what do we do and then Let's they just keep well. they Let's keep doing stuff yeah they keep yeah. doing stuff to try and kill him and it doesn't work kind of thing and that's where constantine and his uh little lady from uh, his past actually shows up as well judith <laughs> yes, and, if, and then uh, and, and this, I like how in the uh, script it pretty much is saying, after John and Judith have some loud sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no, it's really cool. Like, yeah, she comes back uh, and she, she, you know, hunts him down and everything else like that. It's really, really interesting, too, in the way that they have her, uh, you know, katana wheeling, punk rocker. And uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting so james you know more about judith than i do so give us a little bit of a uh, background on her well i mean john's always got women from his past oh of course that he does. he's kind of uh i don't want to say screwed over but uh that's kind of what he does john's always been a very love him and leave him kind of guy and um she was part of the group that was at newcastle of course remember newcastle yep uh that went horribly wrong and remember john had a band yeah. Remember that Constantine was in a band and that's, you know, she was kind of part of that life for him as well. So, you know, just like anything else, they drifted apart and now they've kind of found each other on the show here. Now, I don't know if she's planning on being a recurring character going forward. It didn't really seem that way. No. Uh, at the end of the script, but this is just, it's basically laying the groundwork that, you know, was she a huge, huge, important part of the Constantine story? No. So let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, but she's showing a pattern of behavior by John and it's supposed to create awkwardness and tension between John and Zed. And I think it did that because John and Zed in the earlier part of that script actually had a little bit of a moment. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they really did. Cause again, Chaz is in this episode. Right. So it was more Constantine and Zed working together and having those moments. And then one thing I liked in the script that it points out is, John kind of has an idea that Manny might not be the friendly angel that he really yeah. says he is. And that's a point of contention between he and Zed as well. So I think that that was really cool. But it just made you miss the show. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and you knew that that was going to be the reaction from anybody that actually liked the show. It made you miss it. It's like, why? Why can't somebody just grab onto this? I mean, especially I'm very curious to see what the final ratings are going to be from the Arrow episode that the Constantine was on, because I think that it's almost like they're gauging fan interest. It's almost like instead of CW picking up Constantine right away, it's almost like they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw John into an episode of Arrow. We'll see what happens and we'll go from there. Exactly. And I mean, from what I saw, the ratings actually for 
Arrow's uh, episode with Constantine actually rose. Like they were really, really good. Uh, they actually, yeah, they scored a 1.0 rating and 2.57 million viewers. Yeah, so was, that's that's CW was, dipping their toe in the water. It was a, it was a, uh, yeah, it was a 10 percent increase over the previous week's show. I mean, that, that speaks volumes right there to me. I mean, at least I think that that's something that should be paid attention to, and hopefully we'll see Constantine back on the air soon. But speaking of something that not maybe too many people paid attention to is something that nerds don't usually watch, and that's Fox News and a little bit of a mocking going on for Star Wars Force Awakens fans. What's the deal? So on a recent episode of Your World with Neil Cavuto, host Neil Cavuto sat down with one Star Wars, as he says, super fan, his name is Mike Gunzelman, and then a major, I'm going to say this, bitchy detractor in Carly Shimkus to discuss the anticipation towards The Force Awakens. So Shimkus just complained and pretty much belittled Star Wars fans saying, you know, People go online, they buy tickets two months in advance, and that's going to ruin the whole experience for normal uh, theater goers like you and me, Judge. That's what they call Cavuto on the show. And she's like, there's 16 million of Star Wars things. They're all out of order. Oh, the poor child. Who knew counting Roman Roman numerals backwards could be so difficult? You know, she must be really hate having to go to, like, a Macy's and not be able to buy certain perfumes because the numbers are all out of order. Like, you can't buy Chanel number 5 and then have to go into something like a 212 or whatever. <laughs> Chanel the prequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, you know, she can't be like, I can't buy number 5 because, you know, I have number 4 and it's all out of whack and they got Chanel 10. You know, God, perfume shopping her must be a total bitch. But, no, she just... <sighs> It's two people who, in high school, just bullied fucking nerds. And again, they capitalized on the whole thing, notion of nerds are these uh, non-social beings, people who are awkward and everything else, and, you know, live in the parents' basement kind of a thing, and all the negative stereotypes of being a nerd means. And they just piled on Mike. And I'm going to say this right now. And I know I'm going to have some detractors probably. If you disagree with what I say right now, or I'm about to say, please hit me up on Twitter and let me, and let's talk about this. Cause I really, I'm really be interested in this. Um, so they, Gunswoman was just sitting there, you know, getting this oh, beating by these two people. It, yeah. he's, he's taken. It. But what made me lose respect for him was the fact that he didn't own his being a nerd, his being a fan of star Wars. When they call them out on being a fan, he says, oh, I'm not one of those fans, like, in that tone. Like, yeah, and first of all, screw you for saying that, too, by the way. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, when it was his, his tone and him saying that, and what that reminded me of was somebody who gets called out for liking something, and then they want to be like, oh, God, I got, but these are the cool, the cool kids, I can't act yeah, dumb. Yeah, be Like, I'm not one of those nerds, I'm not one That's of those That's exactly fans. what it sounded like, yeah. And, and... That really disappointed me in him. And here's what I'm about to say right now that might make people upset me a little bit. Um, when it comes to bullying, and I, my whole history I've told on the show plenty of times how I was bullied my entire life for looking different, being a nerd. James, you do the same thing. Yep. Um, you're never going to end bullying. There's going to be no piece of legislation, no certain movement to end bullying. And you know, overall, because as long as somebody like Cavuto or Shimkus has those negative viewpoints in them, it's going to last forever. And the only way you can really eliminate bullying is within your own life. And the only way you can do that 
is by standing up for the shit that you believe in. And by doing that, you take away all the power they have in bullying you and teasing you. So if somebody went to, to, to Mike and said on the show and said, oh, you're a Star Wars fan, he should have said, damn right I'm a Star Wars fan. And he should have owned that shit. Because when you own that shit, and you, you know, somebody comes to you and says, oh, you do this weird ho- – really? You do this weird hobby that I find weird and, and, and disgust and whatever? You should have been like, yeah, own that shit. Because as soon as you do that, you take away the power from them of making fun of you yeah. and bullying you. Like, I'm sorry. But I'm, all these anti-bullying laws or anything else, they're not going to make an impact because all it's going to do is just people have people hide behind them. You have to be able to – you tell your kids, tell your friends, hey, if somebody's mocking you or something that you love doing, you stand your ground. You say, I am this person. I enjoy Star Wars. I enjoy making uh, sweaters for hamsters or whatever because it's what I like to do, and I own that. And fuck you for trying to make me feel little about doing that. That's all you got to do because as soon as you do that, they shut right the fuck up. Yeah, because it's not fun for them anymore and they're not getting anything out of it. But I'll tell you what I find weird. That they were talking about Star Wars on Fox News. Yeah. You're never going to tune into an episode of the Down and Nerdy podcast and hear us breaking down last night's debate of the Republican or Democratic candidates, okay? (laughs) That's not going to happen. So why this was the venue to talk about this... I don't understand, and, and I will say that, first of all, I'd also like to get something off my chest, because I think that we've heard a couple times on the show that I'm a conservative. Yeah. Just because I'm a conservative doesn't mean I automatically watch Fox News 24-7, doesn't mean I always support what Fox News has to say, and it doesn't automatically mean I'm going to vote for Donald Trump either, by the way. So I'm just going to get that off my chest right now. I might end up voting for the guy, but that doesn't mean anything. I have certain viewpoints, and they are mine. And I own them, just like you just said. And if you want to have intelligent conversations about politics or nerddom, I think that that's fine. But why this is on Fox News at all is mind-blowing to me. And I think, first, and I'm, I'm going to say it, I'm not going to defend Neil Cavuto at all, but Shimkiss was way worse oh, yeah. than Cavuto was. Cavuto was more the guy, you know how you have, when you bully in groups, you've got the one main bully that's kind of throwing the insults out there, and then you've got the group that laughs along. Yeah. Cavuto was the group that laughs along, and Shimkiss was the one throwing haymakers at Mike. Yeah. I could tell you that right now. And she rolled her eyes at the very beginning oh, of the segment. And that's and when you watch that, and when we, we watched this in the same room, and, and you know, and when we saw that, we're just like, oh. And she got by in life because she's good looking, and she could treat people like shit, and nobody gave a fuck. You know, and I'm glad that people that we have things like Twitter because I'm glad people were tweeting her and saying, "What the fuck is your problem?" Like, you're, right. you're tearing down. Like, listen, she could have went on air and said, "I don't understand the Star Wars craze and the anticipation for it." And there that's are people it. that laugh it off. Yeah, like, but she took but it to she, another level. But she went. But when you go and say, "I don't understand it," and you guys, I feel she literally said, and I quote, "Like, I, I don't understand it. I feel sorry for you people." What the fuck? Right. And we don't know that she was re- that she was really any of those things that you were describing, but there is a if you want a stereotype, that's another stereotype. There you go. That that you can be, I mean, we don't know that she was any no, of those things, but, but that's that's, that's the kind of thing. It. That's the kind of thing that you kind of think about when you think about people that do the kind of things that she does. So, we're not trying to say that we know her any more than she knows us. But if she could stereotype that's another stereotype as, as that you can jump right my in. My thing there. is, 
she did this, man. When she when she said the things she said, fucking gloves are off, man. You can't fucking do that. You know, you can't belittle someone. And people are like, why don't you take the high road? Why? And people are probably gonna attack me and probably say, why are you calling her names or anything else? Because she fucking attacked. She uh, shouldn't have been there at all. She she no. She fucking attacked a whole group of people who you don't know what Star Wars means to them. For Christ's sake, there's a guy who has, like, a terminally ill disease who actually got to see Force Awakens early. Like, that change could change his life before he, yeah. he passes. Star Wars, for people, could have spent... It was an escape. It was a way for people to get away from the maybe the horrible past they had or whatever. You don't know. But to come out and just attack something like that... Like, hey, like, for example, we've said on the show multiple times we don't get the whole brony craze. But do we attack the bronies? No. No. And you're not, and you know what? You're not going to bring us on a show to break down the latest release of My Little Pony because it's not something that we really know and that we understand and that we really care about. I realize that there are people that are. You're also not going to bring us on to break down the latest Danielle Steele novel, okay? <laughs> you have to know who you're booking, too. There was no reason for her to be on that show at all. Maybe she's an entertainment reporter there. I don't know. They should have had Cavuto. And Mike on the show together, Cavuto could laugh it off and do the whole typical, you know, nationally syndicated host of, oh, well, you know, I just don't get it kind of thing. Let let that be. That's fine. You don't get it. That's fine. Laugh it off. Cool. I would have been okay with that. But they brought her on to attack, to, to be the attack dog and to be a lady douchebag. And that's exactly the role that she filled. And I, I wish that they didn't do that, but that's what happened. And now she has to suffer the consequences of that on social media because it's out there and we are a very loud voice and we are, will be heard. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, like one more thing, like I said, with Mike, I was very disappointed in him and how he just stood back and not only took it, but just didn't stand his ground. And, and, say, and, we, know realize, what, and we realize it's hard to own it sometimes. Okay. It really is. It depending on how comfortable you are in your nerddom, it's hard to own it sometimes. But that's why we're here to tell you. We've said this multiple times on shows. We've talked about this very thing. You just have to learn that it's okay to own it, and that not everybody's going to understand why you love the thing that you right. love. But that's okay because right. who cares? Right. But bullying somebody and making them feel little and small, like Shimkus did. I'm sorry. I don't take back anything that's I said. I don't that's take, dirty. I don't take back anything I said about her. I really don't because the moment you attack somebody like that and you attack not only that but a mass group of people for something that they like, fuck you. She just ne- clearly she's just never been there before. Exactly. But speaking of places we've never been before, we've never been to Japan before. James come next. We got a nice little interview with Stephen Cummings and Tamara Bonville on. From Wayward from Image Comics, so stay tuned. Our interview with them comes next on Down Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book writer on Mars. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, this week on the Down and Nerdy Podcast, we're going to take our first trip to the land of the rising sun, kind of. We're going to be talking about the series Wayward from Image Comics. We've got artist Stephen Cummings and colorist Tamara Bonvillain on the show this week. How you guys doing? Good, how are you? We're doing fantastic. What, so what's it? So Steve, you're over in Japan, correct? Yeah. What's it like over there, man? Um, blue skies. You know, it's it's not hot anymore. It's it's breezy. It's fall. It's wonderful. Uh, awesome, Sam. How you doing? Doing okay. And she's you? on and she's on the East Coast with us, so she can, we kind of know what things are like for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
you know, we want to dive into Wayward now. Throughout the later half of the series, you know, O'Hara views events taking place as part of a manga series. So, you know, while reading this 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 series, I was kind of thinking, like, you know, do you guys classify Wayward as a comic, as a manga, a mix of both? How would you classify Wayward? I'm gonna say it's a comic book, but there's influences. There's strong influences, but it's you know, it's a comic book, and I say that because. The format and the storytelling and the pacing are all American comic book style. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Actually, going back to the start of the series, there kind of seems to be a real fish-out-of-water theme going on. Of course, you have Rory, who's an Irish girl. She's in Japan. Other characters seem to have that same kind of trying-to-find-their-place thing. So how much do you feel like the threads are kind of a metaphor for those characters and finding that place they're supposed to be? You know, that theme of, um, it's not fish-out-of-water, but like you call it, finding your own place is really common here in modern Japan. You see kids trying to figure out, you know, what they are, and they, they try different groups, they try different things. You'll see kids one day decide they're punk rock, and the next day they're hip-hop, and it's it's a little bit even more difficult when you're dealing with someone who is half Japanese and half any other nationality, um, because they, they have a foot in two different worlds. Most people in Japan, they're all Japanese all the time, but it, it kind of creates um, a real identity crisis for a lot of these people because they don't they don't know everything their friends know in terms of pop culture they know things from you know outside and and so for our characters at least for Roy at least you know she's Irish and even though she went to Japanese school she learned Japanese she was around other people like her in in Ireland and she feels like she knows Japan when she gets to Japan it's a, it's actually a culture shock because she's never been there before and um, she's used to Ireland you know mm -hmm. um, the music, the the food, everything would be Ireland. And she gets to Japan, and it's a completely new experience. And then you have your other characters. You know, we have uh, Nikaido, who is he's the boy who lives in, in he squats in like ruins and, and dilapidated places. He's he's literally outside the main world because he he doesn't um, have those friends in that school experience where he would experience regular pop culture. And you have Shirai, who is. He is literally outside of the world because he, he doesn't even eat food. He can't eat food. He has to eat the dead. Um, I mean, that that whole trying to find your place is a giant theme in this story. Oh, exactly. Now, now Tamara, like, when, you know, building that whole, you know, eating of the dead and everything else, all the powers and, and, and just seeing their abilities, what was it like coloring those different abilities? And, and for you, what was it like seeing them being showcased? And, and kind of like, how would you feel like you wanted to put your own spin on those with your colors? Um, yeah, so when I came on, a few of those were um, already defined uh, since John had colored the first uh, few issues. Mm -hmm. So those were just trying to kind of emulate what he had done and over time get a little chance to kind of move it towards more what I would do while still being true to that. But yeah, like as new characters are introduced, um, yeah, I just try to think of ways to kind of differentiate them from the other characters, you know, like either like some kind of color identity uh, which a lot of times is specified in the script. You know, like, this power is green, this is mm -hmm. blue, or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just a lot of experimenting and uh, just trying to make them a little bit different from each other so they're distinct, but also make them, like, all cohesive. Yeah, definitely. Actually, the colors were one of the big reasons that this book worked for me, and they really just jumped off the page. And, you know, it's nice. it's it's pretty common that colorists don't always get all the headlines and the comic interests or anything like that. So how great was it to kind of work on a story like this where your work makes such a huge impact on the story? Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. Uh, Steve and I had worked together a little bit before this, and then, you know, I'd come on to do interior, or 
variant covers. I like his style. He has kind of a more open style than a lot of people do, so it gives me a lot of room to like render and, and, and add a lot to it. And I really enjoy that. It's very challenging, but it's also very rewarding. So, Stephen, there are many things that make Wayward such an amazing series. A lot of its traits come from your art style, especially the architecture of buildings and just the overall essence of Japan itself. When you're working with a setting like Japan, what do you feel is the most important aspect and part of the country you need to capture with your art? And Tam, you can jump in as well and talk about the same thing, but with your colors. Uh, wow, that's like an essay question. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. The thing about drawing Japan, the whole reason we put it in Japan was when Jim and I started talking about creating a series, I said, I want to do a story in Japan no matter what. I just want to do something in Japan because we wanted to, when we said it in Japan, um, the thing about Japan is if you don't make it look right, it's going to look like a really cheesy movie set, you know? Have you seen mm -hmm. a movie like... Austin Powers, the third one, where it's supposed to be in Japan, but it's obviously like a really cheap movie set. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Soundstage. Yeah, well, if you don't do it right, it's going to look like that. And um, well, we didn't want to have Wayward the soundstage. We wanted to have it be drawn in such a way where the setting itself is almost like an extra character. So in order to make that happen, I, I always try and, and pay close attention to the world around me, um, whether it's manholes or whether it's uh, power lines. You would not believe the amount of power lines here, but it, power lines, or if it's um, post office boxes, the the mailboxes, camera can talk about that. But things have to they have to be a certain way in order to make sure everybody is is um, make sure Japan looks right. And so when I'm I'm out in the city, and I and I don't get out that often. Wayward takes a lot of freaking time, but when I when I get out, I'm taking a lot of pictures because I want to have you know good reference, and um, mm. it, it helps that we're not setting wayward in the biggest, fanciest, most shiny, newest places in Japan, but we're setting it in in the areas where people live and actually do their lives, you know. Um, and, and so that's that's more of the bedroom uh, neighborhood feel. Um, and the thing about those neighborhoods is they, they tend to have, they tend to have been built up in the Showa era. The Showa era is the last emperor. We're in the Heisei emperor now, the Showa emperor. And so... Um, there's a really unique feel architecturally to those places, and we um, intentionally try to hit that. And and um, that, I think, for me, is the biggest point, is to try and make sure I'm drawing in that style, not drawing the fancy station look, but drawing these buildings that are definitely more aged-looking and are definitely more, um, from a Japanese standpoint at least, you look at it and it screams late 70s, early 80s. Oh, definitely. A lot of that heavy lifting, obviously, is done by Steve. You know, because he's he's there. He's you know he's drawing it, and he's you know uh, the accuracy is already there before I get to it. Um, but yeah, he shares a lot of his photos. You know, if we need to really like be very specific with locations, um, so that's definitely like helpful. And I try my best to to use that and to to make it as accurate as possible. That's the whole reason we brought her on. When Jim told me that John was going to be leaving. And we were trying to figure out, well, crap, we need a new, another colorist that's that good. What do we do? I, I remember that I'd gotten to work with Tamara on uh, Pathfinder covers. And um, Pathfinder, Jim had done a series called The City of Secrets for Pathfinder for Dynamite Comics. And um, at that time, I had like a giant hole in my schedule. And I, you know, I was like, Jim, can you see if they need somebody? And, and I went to sleep and I woke up like eight hours later and there's an email from the editor saying, please draw for me. And, and so 
I, I did a bunch of covers, and Tamara was one of the colorists, and it it really jumped out that I'd written some notes on on one of the covers, and Tamara was actually asking what those notes meant. I'd worked in the past with a lot of colors where they would ignore all my notes, or they would, if if I asked for changes, instead of making the changes, they would they would try and convince me why my decision was wrong. You know, and Tamara, <laughs> Tamara, I, I, it stunned me because not only did Tamara ask what the notes meant, but the notes then got put into the picture. That you know, the changes happened. Wow. And so I used Tamara for some uh, covers I did for the Knights of the Dinner Table, which, if you don't know, it's this incredibly fun comic about people who play role-playing games. And once again, Tamara knocked it out. She did exactly what I wanted. And so when Jim said, we need a new colorist, I thought, why don't we bring Tamara on? Because I've had no bad experience. And there's this amazing work ethic, and that's kind of something we need. And so that's why Tamara is here. And, and um, yeah, she knocks it out every single damn time. Oh, yeah, we couldn't agree more. We're talking to Stephen Cummings and Tamara Bonvillain of Wayward, which you, of course, you can get the deluxe hardcover edition of Book One available right now. Now, as far as characters go, Ayane is actually one of my favorite characters in the story because she's such a loose cannon throughout the entire series so far. So do either of you actually have a favorite character or one that you sort of gravitate to? Yeah, I think she's probably one of the more fun people to color, to work on. Um, so from that standpoint, I'd, I'd probably go with Ayane. We get a lot of freedom. She wears a lot of like crazy clothing. Her hair is always changing, so we get to like mix it up and do some cool things with her. Um, I think from a, a story point of view, I think I probably liked uh, Ohara. Uh, I think I probably like something of that character clicked with me more. In chapter five, there's a major death that involves someone's family member, and it really had me going, holy shit, when I, when I saw that, that, that those panels. Uh, when you both found out that that death was happening and when you read it in the, in the book, what was your initial reaction, and do those types of scenes also present a, a level of difficulty, because there's just not only a myriad of emotions within those kinds of scenes, but also they're used as a major transition within the comic. For me, at least, my only concern is I draw it in the most competent way possible, so that it doesn't end up becoming like a a humor point. People laugh mm -hmm. at it, and say right. how terrible this is, you know. But um, I don't. I don't know. Um, when I drew that page in particular, all I had in mind was this idea of of like really thick threads sort of pulling apart, you know. Yeah. Um, because it's 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 not like she dies so much as she kind of like fades away. Right. Um, it's a weird scene because it's not, you know, when people pass away or in comics, you know, the heroic battle ends and the hero is dead. There's a body and people can mourn around the body. We don't even have that. And so it's it's going to come back at some point. You know, Rory's going to start having to deal with it. It's going to be really interesting. But from the art standpoint, in that page in particular, I was mainly concerned with trying to get that that unraveling to look right. Yeah, definitely. Actually, jumping ahead now, the 11th issue in the series, which comes out on November the 18th, actually, if you buy all five covers in the series, you could put them together in one huge wayward illustration. So, Stephen, how much of a challenge is a project like that, and who actually came up with that idea? That was my idea, um, and I, I didn't think it through. That was a bad idea. Because <laughs> my desk is the size of two comic boards. Do you know how big a comic board is? Wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's how big my desk is, and so I have to have like five of those things. And oh um, my god, it's really unwieldy, and um, it's really difficult to deal with. 
I mean, I have a light board, and the light board is perfect. If you know, it, it, a whole piece of cardboard will fit on my light board, so that's great. But you want to keep the earlier pages, you, the other co earlier covers you already drawn from smudging, because you know I've got big hairy arms, and if I'm not careful, I'll be rubbing it on the other covers. It's just a pain in the ass, and I didn't think it through. Um, and now, now we've done two of them, which was you know even doubly. It was just doubly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but the readers really liked it. Um, I did it just as a challenge the first time, but they liked it so much we felt we got to do it again, you know, for the second one. Yes, that was definitely not my idea. <laughs> uh, he's he's not kidding. They're very challenging, uh, but just kind of like all like wayward. I, it, I love how it came out. You know, I'm very happy with the result, but similar to his experience, like on my computer when I'm opening these files, because they're also not only are we doing you know an additional five colors as one large image, it's like. Mm -hmm. The size is also larger because we're just, I guess we want to have that for anything we might want to do in the future with them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's trying to work on my computer, doing that, uh, and, and instead of trying to balance like one image, like a palette for an entire image, you got to just think of it as a whole, but then also like the pieces and the lighting situation is changing across them. Like, so from six to 10, we're going from like, you know, daytime to nighttime and smoothly transitioning that from five covers <laughs> on these wow. giant files. Wow. And in the case of the first uh, covers, we uh, we didn't have them all done ahead of time. So I had to do like, we had to do like one at a time. <laughs> so then to get that to all match up, be smooth, plan ahead for all the, the changes in the uh, palette, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, it was a little easier on the second ones because we, we had them uh, we ha I had more of those uh, at once, so I could kind of do it as a whole, but uh, still, still very difficult. Uh, but I I'm very happy with how they came out. So, yeah, I, I felt really sorry for Tamara's computer. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke coming out of it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of five minute breaks waiting for files to save, things like that. Wow, that that's amazing. That's actually going to look really cool when it gets all put together. But Tamara, I've I've seen I've read some of your other comics before and seen your work before on other other things. And the first time I saw your name, I'll be honest, I looked at it really quick and I thought it was Bond villain. So <laughs> it got me thinking with Spectre coming out. If you were a Bond girl, what would your name be? Oh my god, I I <laughs> I Christmas. can't even guess it. Christmas. 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 <laughs> Why Christmas? Christmas Jones. That's a Bond girl. That's that's great. I'll just go with that. <laughs> so, what about you, Stephen? If you're a Bond villain, what would your villain name be? Uh, I would be um Baldy McCat Scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> I am afraid already. Oh, oh my God! It's oh, so uh... great. I love those names. So, you know, final question: Where can these where can these people, where can your fans and, and readers of Wayward and just people who are listening to this interview find you on social media, both of you? And, and please tell me they can find you at Baldy McCat Scratcher. I haven't registered that domain name yet. Um, I'm on Twitter, Stekichikun, S-T-E-K-I-C-H-I-K-U-N. That's me on Twitter. Although I might have to change that to Baldy McCat Scratcher. I think that's happening, <laughs> that, actually. That has to happen. I think that's happening that's now. You can't let a great name like that go to pass. No, you can't. Yeah. If, it's, if it's taken, just stick a one in there or something. <laughs> um, also on Twitter, it's uh, T Bond Villain. So just my first initial and last name. 
All right, well, issue number 11 of Wayward comes out on November the 8th, so make sure you're getting that at your local shops or at imagecomics.com. Also, the deluxe hardcover edition of the book is available now. You can find that at all your favorite bookstores. Stephen Cummings and Tamara Bond, villain of Wayward, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the support. Yeah, thank you. By the way, if I ever see you at the office devouring souls, remind me to um, to walk away. Yeah, that might be a little awkward, actually. Or, or if you start turning into, into a cat or yeah. several cats, that's that's not going to be a pretty sight. But uh, no, Wayward is – it's one of those things where jump outside of your comfort zone every now and then as a comic yeah. book reader. And this is one of those stories that you want to read because it's just so – I mean, the writing's good, too. I don't want to say that the writing's not good because it, it really is. Right, what, really but good. what strikes me in this series is just the art. And the color, and that's why I'm so glad that we get to have Steven and Tamara on, because that, to me, is what made the series. It just jumped right off the page, and to me, that's why I kept flipping pages. Oh, exactly. And again, you know, November 18th, issue 11 comes out, so go pick it up. And, you know, of course, you can get the hardcover book, the the, the whole first 10 issues, all in that one book right now at your local shop, where you can go and order it as well. And again, I mean, that's just, I mean, the art just takes over and it's just beautiful oh, yeah. art. And it just, I mean, you want to talk about colors just popping off the page. Tamara's work is just, it's, it's really amazing. She does a phenomenal job. I mean, it's, you know, coloring all the little intricacies of like the little uh, threads that Steven draws and like, wow. Which is really difficult, that's, man. When they get into the thread, wait, wait till you read the series if you haven't already. You look at these threads that they have to deal with with Rory. Man, that's a, that's a that's hard art, man. That's but, difficult. But again, thanks for Stephen and Tamara to come on. Go pick up issue eleven. It comes out November eighteenth. Also, go to Image as well and just check out all the great stuff they have as well. But that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, we're everywhere, all over social media. We're on Facebook.com/slash Down Nerdy. We're also on Twitter. I'm at Merkle One Arm, and we're also at Down Nerdy Seven Five Seven. That's the main show page, Mister Witham. I'm at James Ace with them, and make sure you find us online at downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find out more comic book reviews that we actually have on there. There's this tab called Reviews. There's one that says what else James is reading, what else Nick is reading. You can find out what we're going, what we're, we're on the show that week. Also, you can listen to us live on there. Of course, you can actually buy the comics that we're reading, too, from the Amazon store. There'll be links right there for you to do just that. Exactly. And also, speaking of our Amazon store, you can sign up through us right now. Go on our website, downnerdypodcast.com. At the bottom right corner, there's a link to our store. But there's also another little link that gives you a free 30-day trial for Amazon Prime. So we insist that you try it out. When you try it out, you get that 33-day trial, 30-day free trial. You help out the show. You help out us. We really greatly appreciate it. And again, check us out on the podcast. Check us out on, on the website, all the reviews we do every week. But again... Thanks to, to, to that, both of them for coming on today and talking about Wayward. It was really, really amazing. And as always, I leave you with this, comic book nerds. Practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.